This is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast, and you are listening to the January 22nd reading out of the One Year Bible Plan in the New Living Translation. I am your host, Blake Farley, and as always, I am so grateful that you are joining me on this journey through the Bible this year. And as we jump into the January 22nd reading, here's a little fun fact for you. I began dating my wife on January 22nd, 2015. So it's a special day in my heart, and I know that has no relevance for your life, but I love my wife, and whenever I get the chance to mention that, I'm going to. So that's just kind of part of this podcast. Let it be a reminder to you to tell those you love in your life that you love them or something or another. Okay, let's jump into the reading today. Uh, Genesis chapter 44 and 45 as we continue the story of Joseph. Hopefully it's been uh, as interesting and riveting to you as it has been to me. Each time I read this story, I come away with new truths and uh, new things that I see. So let's jump in. Chapter 44, verse 1. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry, and put each man's money back into his sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack, along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. The brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, Chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, Why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. When the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We are your servants and would never do such a thing. Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back from all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If you find his cup with any of us, let that man die, and all the rest of us, my lord, will be your slaves. (laughs) It feels like Joseph is just messing with his brothers at this point. (laughs) Like he puts a silver cup in their their bag and then sends somebody to go say, hey, you stole from me. Um, He's given his brothers a heart attack in about every chapter we're seeing, which, I mean, they kind of deserve it after what they did to him. Anyways, continuing on in verse 10. That's fair, the man replied. But only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. They all quickly took their sacks from the back of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager searched the brother's sacks from the oldest to the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived, and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? Judah answered, Oh my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. No, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, 
do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord. We have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for his father would die. For you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant and our father and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back again and buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons, and one of them went away and never returned. Doubtless, he was torn to pieces by some wild animal. I have never seen him since. Now, if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. That concludes chapter 44. Moving on to chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph couldn't stand it any longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing in front of them. You think? I mean, they literally thought he was dead, and they thought that they did it. And now they find out, oh my goodness, he's one of the leaders in Egypt. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you'd be speechless too. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. The famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. And there we get a lesson in true forgiveness. Uh, don't we, friends? Like, true forgiveness is when you can say to the person who did evil to you, it's okay. It wasn't you that did it. Really, God allowed it because he was doing something greater. There's no, there's no ill will in Joseph's voice towards those who have hurt him. Wow. That's convicting for my own soul. Verse 9. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me, and all your children and grandchildren and your flocks and herds and everything you own. And I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise you and your household and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, Look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father 
of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all of your families to return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt, and you will eat from the best that the land produces. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, Take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told. Joseph provided them with wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them supplies for their journey. And he gave each of them new clothes, but to Benjamin he gave five changes of clothes and three hundred pieces of silver. He also sent his father ten male donkeys loaded with the, fr- with the finest products of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other supplies he would need on his journey. So Joseph sent his brothers off, and as they left, he called to them, Don't quarrel about all this along the way. And they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. Joseph is still alive, they told him, and he is the governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob exclaimed, It must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. Beautiful, beautiful um, kind of climax to the story of Joseph. And that concludes our New Testament, or sorry, our Old Testament reading today. Um, Wow, very, very beautiful story. Matthew chapter 14 verse 13 through 36 will be our new testament reading for the day very famous story jesus feeding the five thousand let's look at it verse 13 as soon as jesus heard the news he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick that evening the disciples came to him and said This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. About five thousand men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. 
So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. That concludes the New Testament reading, and we see a lot going on in that text. Um, we see Jesus doing these amazing miracles, uh, feeding 5,000, healing people, calming the sea. But what I believe Jesus is really getting at and what we find out, um, especially as we see in the walking on the water scene, that the point isn't what Jesus can do. The point is who Jesus is. Like Our faith isn't rooted in what Jesus does for us. It's rooted in who Jesus is. So it's not, it's not just that God will help me from whatever is going on in my life that I want to stop. It's that I know God in Jesus Christ is with me through all the trials. My faith is in him that he's going to work it out for my good. And a lot of people in this text and a lot of people today want to run to Jesus for what he can do for them. Uh, but as soon as he, quote unquote, lets them down, um, they lose faith. Well, their faith was never actually in Jesus. Their faith was in what Jesus could do for them. And what we see here is that through the miracles and through all this, Jesus is really trying to say, don't look at my miracles. Look at me. I'm proving I am truly the Messiah. God in flesh, the one who's truly human, but yes, also truly God, the one who came to live the life you could not live, perfect, totally holy, and to die the death you deserve to die, pouring out my blood for your sins, purifying you, substituting in your place for the wrath of God so that you might be adopted into God's family as a citizen of the kingdom of God, and that you would have the Holy Spirit indwelt within you to give you power and purpose in this lifetime, and that ultimately one day there would be a future hope uh, that everything would be made right in his kingdom, including you, as you will rise again as he rose again on the third day. This is the gospel. If you trust in it, this is the good news for you. No, listen to me. When you trust in the gospel, you're not trusting in what Jesus can do for you because he will do some amazing things for you. I truly believe in Jesus. You will experience salvation. You will find peace. You will know purpose. And ultimately, you will have the opportunity to live fulfilled. But that is not what your faith is in. Your faith is not in your circumstances. Your faith is in Christ. He is who he says he is. And the only thing we need to know to see that is to look back at the resurrection, to know that on the third day a dead man was alive and that this was no normal man at all, but this was God in flesh. And he said that if you believe in him, what he did counts for you. He's imputed or given you his righteousness. Good news, gospel news. Embrace and trust in that today, my friends. Now, moving on to our Proverbs of the day, we will be reading Proverbs 4, verses 11 through 13. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the key to life. And finally, we will be reading Psalm 18, verses 37 through 50 in a posture of prayer. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued my enemies under your feet. Lord, we thank you that ultimately you are the one 
um, who have who has subdued the enemies um, that we cannot see. Um, it says the Bible says that you are at the right hand of God, Jesus, uh, making your enemies your footstool. What an amazing verse. Lord, we know that our battle is not as it appears with flesh, but it is with the powers um, that we cannot see, the spiritual principalities. And Lord, we know you have subdued them. And um, God, we pray that you would continue to do so and continue to give us peace uh, as we face these threats. Verse 39. You have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You placed my foot on their necks. I have destroyed all who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to their rescue. They cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I ground them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit. Foreign nations cringed before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. Lord, as we read this psalm, the king who wrote it was writing about himself, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, put this in Scripture because it points to the ultimate king that would come and that this would ultimately be true about Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for being this king. And Lord, we worship you not just for what you do, but for who you are. Continuing on in verse 46. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He subdues the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victories to your king. And you show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and all his descendants forever. And Lord, yes, I am grateful that I get to be a part of that descendants list. I'm a descendant of King David, not in blood and flesh, but in the, the glory of Jesus Christ, I've been adopted into your family. And as a Gentile, I'm adopted into God's chosen people. What an amazing privilege it is. Lord, I pray that I would live in light of my salvation being totally complete in what Jesus has done for me. My joy would be in knowing that the Holy Spirit is indwelt in me, giving me power and purpose to live now. And my joy would be in the future hope I have and know that will come true when Jesus comes back, not as a suffering servant, but as a glorious king, setting all things to right, including me and the world around me. New creation finally culminated. Lord, this is the gospel, and it is what I put my trust and faith and hope in. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do, and more importantly, for who you are. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for this January 22nd reading, and I hope to see you back here tomorrow for the 23rd of January as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.